Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The old world is dying. The new world is struggling to be born. We live in a time of monsters. Thus wrote Antonio Gramsci almost a hundred years ago. At the time, he had in mind the morbidity of the rise of fascism, Mussolini fascism, Hitler fascism, Japanese fascism. Now Italy, Germany and Japan are part of our very own team of monsters. And Netanyahu is merely one of the ranks. We'll be looking at how the old world is dying, how we can tell that it is dying, why the new world is not yet able to step to center stage and dramatically change the course of events. And we'll be looking at the Zelensky regime in Ukraine, which is definitely also dying. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night, as Betty Davis once said, it's the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. That the old world is dying cannot be gainsaid. It's demonstrated every Saturday and every Sunday on the major streets of the major cities of the entire world. Uh, the population of all Western countries, everyone, including the United States, are demanding a ceasefire in the slaughter of the people in Gaza, overwhelmingly children and women being slaughtered in unprecedented numbers. But their governments are deaf, dumb, and blind to the protestations of their own public and apparently bereft themselves of a conscience. It is demonstrated in the current standing of those same Western governments in the face of their own electorates. No one can look at Joe Biden, Rishi Sunak, Macron, little soldier Schultz, and bonkers Baerbock. No one can look at those and say these are popular leaders who truly speak for and represent their public. In fact, almost none of those I have mentioned, perhaps none of those that I have mentioned, could score even 25% of a poll in public, in elections. They're all going down. Little Ruta, the little Tony Blair monkey, uh, has gone. Uh, the uh, French electorate are just waiting to get their hands on little Macron. It's very unlikely that little soldier Schultz and bonkers Baerbock will even get to the starting post. The German government, a two-headed monster of the Greens and the so-called Social Democrats, can barely muster 
30% in the opinion polls between them. And they are uh, now exploring means by which they can outlaw their opposition. A process which is occurring now in all of the Western countries that I have mentioned. Joe Biden, unable to win a presidential election, seeks to put in prison his main opponent. Indeed, an opponent outstripping him in the public opinion polls just a year before the American presidential election. The fact that his main opponent is almost as bonkers as him, the fact that his main opponent has completely lost his moorings in the face of the atrocities taking place in Gaza is immaterial for my case. My case is that these Western countries are now so dysfunctional that they are seeking to imprison and or outlaw their opposition. In Britain, a very substantial effort has been made all week, thwarted only by the refusal of London's Metropolitan Police to go along with it, threatening to ban uh, an entirely lawful demonstration of hundreds of thousands of people who have already begun setting out for London for what may be the biggest ever demonstration for Palestinian rights. The government concocted an entirely synthetic culture war, uh, arguing that marching in a different part of London hours and hours after uh, the commemorations of the armistice at the end of the First World War, marching miles away hours later for an armistice was somehow an insult to the memory of the fallen in the First and Second World Wars. Not that the presence at these ceremonies of the main war criminals of the 21st century was not a de that was not a desecration uh, of the sacrifice of the fallen. The fact that Tony Blair, every single year, his face waxen with fake grief, his poppy ever larger, threatening to topple him over with its size and weight. These hypocrites who murder men and ask God to give thanks. This monstrosity of a collection of British warmongers at the head of the armistice celebrations or commemorations. That's not any kind of insult to the dead, but people marching for a ceasefire, for a settlement, peaceful, diplomatic, political settlement to a murderous conflict that is, according to the British government. And they put up their also achingly anti-woke, anti-cancel culture, libertarians to argue for the shredding of yet more British liberties. With a crown diamond encrusted ermine uh, uh, rippling and, uh, and sapphires glowing with a crown worth three billion pounds on his head, the new British King Charles in Parliament this week solemnly intoned that his government, his government was going to crack down further on social media platforms 
for the crime of disinformation. But of course, their problem is not with disinformation. Their problem is with information, which has broken the monopoly that they have held on the narratives that underpin their wars and many other aspects of their programs for government. The old world is dying. Uh, also in the evidence before our eyes of the complete ineptitude and oftentimes complicity of the so-called opposition in their countries. Nowhere more lurid than in the United Kingdom itself, where the British government and the British op opposition so-called form an ironclad consensus an ironclad consensus for killing, for slaughter, both of them repeatedly refusing the pleas of their own party members, the pleas of their own constituents, the pleas of their own public for an end to the killing. The old world is dying in the brazen, lurid complicity of the so-called free press. Journalists, accomplices to murder. Journalists and broadcasters parroting the talking points of a foreign leader, Benjamin Netanyahu, who only a few weeks ago, they were openly evincing their hope, their wish that he would be toppled by the mass demonstrations of people in Israel, calling him a chiseling crook who besmirches even the tawdry name of the Israeli parliament. The old world is dying on the economic front. Country after country disguising their slump into recession with various uh, uh, pieces of sophistry, smoke and mirrors, but all of them rotten from within, turning in and against each other in their own countries. A Dutch auction going on in Germany between the parties as to who can be the meanest to Johnny immigrant, Johnny refugee, who obviously is the reason for the parlous state of German politics and the German economy. It couldn't be their own government after all. It couldn't be the allies and friends of their own government after all that pushed Germany into economic and political suicide. The old world is dying and it is very clear to all of us across all of these indices and many, many more. But I need to turn to the shortcomings of the new world. It's been oversold, including by me. It's been oversold, this tectonic shift in the balance of power in the world. The BRICS has been oversold. The rise and rise of China and Russia and Iran have been oversold. They are able and have adjusted their narrative, their rhetoric, very significantly indeed. China in particular, what it's saying now about the massacres in Gaza are leagues away leagues ahead of what they would have said only three or four years ago, the last time, in fact, 
that this happened. But China is not able to decisively influence what's happening on the ground. It is not able to tell the United States that it must tell its client state that it arms and funds and shills and propagandizes for, vetoes for, in every international fora. China is not yet strong enough to be able to tell the United States halt and desist. Russia, with its hands still full in the Ukraine, is certainly prepared to defend the sovereignty, territorial integrity of Syria, but it is not yet able to allow and facilitate Syria to take back its own sovereign territory that was stolen from it back in 1967 when the Beatles were top of the hit parade. The Golan Heights remains in the iron grip of Israeli occupation and Russia is not able to do anything about that. Iran, which has, of course, a vastly enhanced military capability and will, if attacked, answer in kind, is not able to go on the offensive. That much is now clear. If it were, it would not have allowed 10,000 civilians in the Gaza Strip to be systematically slaughtered. 5,000 of them, counting those still under the rubble, 5,000 of those children, infants, and babies. If anybody in the world had been able to decisively intervene militarily, militarily politically, militarily politically economically, they would already have done so. And so we witness today a scene that will live in infamy, a scene redolent of the Nakba, the catastrophe in 1948, a scene redolent of the Second World War itself, a column of thousands, maybe tens of thousands of Palestinian refugees marching yet again into exile, refugees for the second time, the first time in 1948, the second time in 2023, headed from their homes, from the little patch of bitter earth called the Gaza Strip to God knows where. Certainly not a home, certainly not safety. Everybody that Israel has sent from the north of Gaza into the south is equally at peril of being killed as they were in the north, but they have stampeded tens of thousands of human beings, marshaled by soldiers heavily armed. It was redolent to me of the people headed for the cattle trains and the death camps of Treblinka and of Auschwitz and of the killing fields of the European Nazi Holocaust against the Jews and against others, subhumans as designated by the German Reich. Pages that will live in infamy have been fleeting past us like uh, through the window of a train, 
all of this week. Images of horror and macabre that most of us at least wish we had never seen. Images of small children with their head a cavity and no brain left within it. Images of twin babies being carried stone dead. Images of people tearing at the, at the uh, sheets, the shrouds covering their mothers, their fathers, their brothers, their sisters, their sons and their daughters, their husbands and their wives. People wailing, people rending their garments, people entirely helpless, being murdered like fish in a barrel while the world remains either silent or cheering on those committing the massacres, supplying the weapons with which the massacres are being conducted, paying the money which the massacres require to fill the hole in the economy of Israel, which has fallen 13 billion in just four weeks. The old world is dying. The new world is struggling to be born, and thus we are living in the time of monsters. Some of them are big monsters. Some of them are small, small indeed. None smaller than the pitiful and pitiless guy on the make in number 10 Downing Street. A man who stabbed his mentor, his predecessor, Boris Johnson, in the back, only in order to return to take his place. A man whose wife is a billionaire, busily making profits, not just from the war in Gaza, but the war in Ukraine also. Billionaires with green cards, just biding their time before they head for the coast, Silicon Valley and the West Coast of the United States of America. Now, I've got them all guessing in Britain as to what I personally am going to do next. But I've got them all asking me. The BBC today reporting on the resignation from the Labour front bench of the man I defeated in the Bradford West by-election, Mr. Imran Hussein, who became the first Labour frontbencher to have the courage and the conscience to resign from Keir Starmer's front bench. The BBC report upon it concludes with the observation that none of his colleagues is free from the spectre of George Galloway and what he did to Imran Hussein when he defeated him spectacularly in the Bradford West by-election. The Financial Times, no less, asking me today for a comment on whether I was going to stand here or there. The Mail on Sunday, the Sunday Times, I've got them all guessing why. Because all of these media outlets know that millions of British people feel nothing but contempt for their governing party and their opposition party and are desperately hoping, looking for some alternative 
uh, that would free them from the prison of the uni party, the duopoly uni party, which is in power and opposition in Britain, and which is in power and opposition in the United States. There's going to be three top-line guests on the mother of all talk shows, plus some of the best calls and messages you're going to find anywhere on the international media scene. Stay tuned. It's the mother of all talk shows. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. One of the uh, signs of the old world dying is the phenomenal growth, God bless them all, of Jewish opponents of Netanyahu and the bombardment and ongoing siege of the people of Gaza. It's true everywhere in the world, but it's nowhere more true and more significant than in the United States of America. And we're honored tonight uh, that our first guest is Rabbi David Miviser, who is one of the leading voices of this growing, burgeoning phenomenon of Jews for justice for the Palestinians. Rabbi, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, what lies behind this tremendous growth, do you think? I'm watching uh, Jews leading the occupation of railway stations. I'm seeing Jewish figures, uh, recognizably Jewish figures, seizing the initiative, popping up before Blinken's face or behind his head with, with the placards and so on. There's a new militancy amongst Jews for peace. Tell us about it. I think it comes out of very authentic Jewish demands for justice and for peace and standing with the underdog and doing what we can to help and also recognizing uh, a lot of Jewish responsibility because this is all being done by the state that claims to be the Jewish state. And many of us, including myself, for years supported that state. Many of us have lived there for years. Many of us have family there. So I think we feel a strong responsibility to do everything we can to end this current slaughter 
and go beyond that and really work toward justice, equality, and freedom for everyone. I'll say it, everyone from the river to the sea, everyone should live in equality. Amen. Uh, the, uh, we're familiar, more familiar with uh, the ultra-Orthodox opponents of uh, Zionism. They say it's a, a nationalist ideology which has nothing to do with Judaism. We're familiar, more familiar, with, uh, with secular Jews uh, who are, if you like, culturally Jewish, uh, historically Jewish, uh, but not really practicing religious uh, uh, the religious practice of Judaism. Uh, and you represent a third stream, in a sense, don't you? You are religious, you're not ultra-Orthodox, you're not secular, but you're equally determined. That's very true. And um, I'll just say, so people know, I'm part of an organization in the U.S. that's called Jewish Voice for Peace. You can find us online at jvp.org. There's over 200,000 of us, and among those 200,000, there's something like 60 or 80 rabbis, like myself. I'll just say modern rabbis, progressive rabbis, who are organized to be a rabbinic council. And we, you know, on, on October 18th, we led a, like, kind of a takeover of a congressional office building. And... A couple dozen of us rabbis were arrested. Over 300 Jewish people were arrested. There's over 3,000 of us out in the street, in Independence Avenue on Capitol Hill, like blocking the street and holding it for hours. So, George, when you say there's like a rising tide of Jews getting involved who are somewhere between what you described as ultra-Orthodox and secular, and you're quite right. Well, it's a three-pronged uh, uh, um, fork in the eye for those uh, usually Christians, uh, oftentimes evangelical Christians, uh, who conflate uh, Jewishness, conflate Judaism uh, with the nationalist creed of uh, Zionism, and not just Zionism, but a kind of extremist uh, stripe of Zionism represented by Netanyahu and those to the right of him. It, it must be causing some consternation uh, amongst those who seek to make that conflation. We are trying to interrupt the false narrative that what Israel does is for the Jewish people and that what our governments do. I listened to you before talking about your government in the UK, you know, the government that I was born and raised under in the U.S. and the government I live with now in Canada. But the people in charge of those governments want to pretend that their support for Israel is somehow support for Jews. And what we're doing is trying to absolutely discredit that, interrupt it, make it clear that that's not true. I don't think the evangelical Christians care about Jews at all. Like they're religious ideology leads them to think that something like Jesus will come back when the Jews go back to the Holy Land. And when we do, then it'll be like an apocalypse or something. All the Jews will have a chance to become Christians, and if they don't, we're all going to go to hell. 
where we'll suffer and burn forever. You know, so this is like a complete conflation, not only of Judaism and the state of Israel, but the stuff that they read in the Bible, they're like kind of projecting that onto the state of Israel, right? The state of Israel is not the Israel that's in the Bible. And the living, breathing Jewish people that you may have as like friends and neighbors in the UK or me here right now, we're not like pawns in their religious game, you know, to get, uh, you know, to get Jesus to come back. So like, I, honestly, I, you said it may be causing consternation for them. I have no idea what they're thinking or feeling or believing, but I know what we are doing and we need to get out there and express ourselves like in the kind of the public discourse to interrupt this very false narrative, you know, that somehow Israel's acting for the Jewish people and that our governments that support Israel are doing that for the Jewish people. It's, it's just not true. And more and more Jews are seeing that. Well, um, you use the term, uh, Rabbi, interrupt. Uh, I use the term disrupt. It means the same thing in this uh, context. Uh, but I, I, have, I have made the journey, literally, several times from Armageddon to the gates of the Gaza Strip. It's less than 100 miles from Armageddon to Gaza. Right. Uh, and these people in the United States are trying to make us uh, uh, take that trip, make that journey in the opposite direction uh, for reasons which have nothing to do with care for the Jewish people, whom, as you yeah. rightly put it, uh, they, they would have put to death if their end of times were to be heralded uh, by events such as we're living through now. Well, I think that's all true. And of course, they have no regard for Palestinian people. And we're all as valid as people, as anyone else, as each other, as them themselves, right? We all have a right to live and to be free and to be in safety and to live our lives. Yeah. I mean, can I, let me, let me just throw in something that may be helpful for your listeners. And there was a poll done in the United States in the spring of 2021 by a very legitimate organization called the Jewish Electoral, oh, I forgot the last word of it, but it was just a completely legitimate poll. You can find it online to, to look at Jewish Americans' attitudes about Israel. And of all Jewish Americans, they said something like 35% agree that Israel is an apartheid state. And at that time, which was more than two years ago, 35% of Jews in America agreed that Israel is committing genocide. And of Jews under the age 40, this shocks me, 20% responded that Israel does not have a right to exist. And I believe that poll is valid. First of all, it's just a legitimate poll done by a polling company that had no interest in the outcome whatsoever. And second, I live in the Jewish world. That's who I live among, that's who I talk with, that's my family, my friends. And it sounds like that whole reflecting what I see. And again, it so contradicts the, the, like the messaging that's put out by the central Jewish organizations in the UK, in the US, in Canada, and elsewhere, that like the Jewish community supports Israel. 
And if our members of parliament or whatever, if they don't comply with that, oh, the Jews are going to be very upset. And, you know, the, I just, I recommend anybody that wants to know, just look up this poll. Uh, I'm sure people uh, will be as we are uh, speaking, Rabbi. Uh, where does this all go, in your opinion? Uh, there are pictures tonight. Uh, I don't know how long they stayed on the beach, but they were on the beach. Israeli soldiers on the beach at Gaza, uh, declaring that uh, this is now their land, uh, and they don't intend to leave it. Netanyahu has claimed, although former Prime Minister Olmert has contradicted him, uh, that he intends to, uh, to reoccupy Gaza uh, and govern it. Uh, Blinken has said that that will not be permitted. It's not clear anyway that Gaza will be able to be conquered. The resistance is very fierce, and uh, the troops have not even yet entered Gaza City, and the piles of ruins and rubble uh, are ideal fighting ground for people who know every inch uh, of that city. So the military outcome... Uh, never mind the political, I cannot yet safely be predicted. But do you see this killing going on for another month, for another month after that? Just say that's a very good question. I, I, I really don't try to predict the future. You know, what I would say to that, George, is I think we all have a responsibility and some possibility to influence our own governments, you know, so that they try to weigh in and change this. I can't predict what will be, but I certainly know what should be. And those of us who live in countries that uh, purport to be democracies, you know, we have some ways that we can try to influence that. I, I just, I, I, I understand your question. It's an extremely dire situation, hour by hour, day by day. I am personally in contact with at least a dozen families in Gaza. And sometimes I lose contact with them. Every time that happens, I don't know if I'll ever hear from them again. And of course, as we all know, there's thousands of people being killed. So what what's going to happen, I can't say. And I just I just urge everyone to do Rabbi, everything we possibly can. And I don't I don't even know what we can realistically I, do because honestly, our governments are so unresponsive, as you were saying. Right, like right here, I'm in Toronto. Yes, right now. until there, yeah, there's thousands exactly. and thousands They're and thousands of people in the streets. Are. Yes, uh, it seems like a brick wall, but even a brick wall uh, can fall uh, if enough people are pushing it. Rabbi, I take my hat off to you and to all your fellow Jews that are struggling for peace and for justice. May God go with you. Thank you very much indeed. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Another of these wonderful, peace-loving, justice-fighting Jewish Americans is Katie Halper. She has a huge platform, a huge reach. She's known by the entire progressive political currents in the United States. And she has just discovered, as we all are, that so many of the protestations 
of progressivism on the left do not stretch to the people of Palestine. And so many of the protestations of belief in free speech and opposition to cancel culture doesn't apply to all conservatives in all situations. And that leaves people like Katie uh, in an exposed position. But when you've got the heart of a lioness as she does, you don't let that stop you. Katie Halpert joins us again on the mother of all talk shows. Uh, we were talking, Katie, to a rabbi, uh, a Rabbi Mivisea, earlier. Uh, we were talking about this phenomenon. It's not a new phenomenon. You've represented it for many, many years, young as you are. Uh, but its size is a new phenomenon. The size and militancy of this new constituency. Talk to us about it. So thank you so much for having me. Um, I think that you're referring to the Jewish voices out there who are saying uh, not in our name, who are criticizing what Israel's doing, calling out Israel's crimes against humanity, the genocide that they're inflicting right now on the people of Gaza, and of course, America's role kind of aiding and abetting that. And as you said, there have been Jews who have been outspoken on this issue for years, but what's new is that we see these Jewish organizations, like If Not Now, and especially Jewish Voice for Peace, that are in the forefront, at the forefront, organizing these rallies. I was uh, at the Statue of Liberty on Monday. There was a really moving protest there where they dropped banners saying, ceasefire now, not in our name. And uh, it was beautiful because obviously the Statue of Liberty was a backdrop. They also, these same people, uh, these same organizers had a great protest at Grand Central Station that they took over. I couldn't even get into it because it was uh, blocked by the time I got there. So I was part of the hundreds of people who were on the outside protesting. Um, and so I think what's great is is the pushback saying, no, Israel doesn't represent us. APAC doesn't represent us. The Anti-Defamation League doesn't represent us. This is all a bit of a curveball to the American politicians who uh, have always insisted and insist now uh, that they're doing all this giving all this to defend Jews. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think the irony is that, and we talked about this a bit on my show last night on the Katie Helper show, uh, I had uh, Rabbi um, Brant Rosen, who was part of the Jewish Voice for Peace's Rabbinical Council, and we were talking about that with him and Rosalind Pachetsky and Jay Safer, all from Jewish Voice for Peace. We were saying how Israel makes Jews less safe, not safer. They've existed and they've fear-mongered and tried to make it so that Jews feel like they need this ethno-nationalist state to feel safe. But I think it's becoming clearer and clearer that actually Israel, by claiming to represent Jews and doing these things that are so horrific, that anyone who has any compassion for Palestinians sees as what they are, which is crimes against humanity, crimes against international human rights law, war crimes, that doesn't make... Jews safer to be associated with this government that, again, claims to speak for us, but in fact doesn't. Oh, I was just going to say is. the other yes. irony is that no, it, it is. it's an anti-Semitic trope to suggest that all Jews support Israel, right? The dual loyalty trope. Um, the people who always claim that Jews and Zionists are the same thing, those are kind of rabid anti-Semites who constantly refer to Jews as Zionists. They use those terms as if they were interchangeable. And then the government of Israel and then APAC and the ADL, those are the groups that make it sound like Jews and Zionists are the same thing. And obviously they're not. 
And that's why it's so great to see all these Jews out there saying we as Jews oppose what Israel is doing, not in our name. And, um, you know, there's uh, there's nothing Jewish about what Israel is doing for people who embrace the values of secular Jewish identity. There's a tradition of radical internationalism. There's a tradition of tikkun alam, which means to repair the world. And then for religious people, there's a lot in the scripture that also opposes this kind of imperialism. Many Jews are not Zionists, and most Zionists are not Jews. Uh, yes, and, that's also uh, we've really got important. a perfect example in the in the 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 duo, maybe the trio, if we include Kennedy, uh, running for uh, president. The three leading candidates, you might say, for president. Uh, two of them are Roman Catholics, and uh, Donald Trump is God knows what. Uh, but they are uh, they are utterly gung ho. I mean, Israel could not ask for more berserk, unconditional, unequivocal support than being offered by the whole of the mainstream American political spectrum. Yeah, I mean, Biden ran uh, as someone who was a moral uh, alternative to Donald Trump, right? He ran as the guy who wasn't going to do the Muslim ban, wasn't going to build a wall. He's kind of done, he's done some of the wall. Uh, and he clearly does not see Palestinians as human beings. I mean, if he did, he wouldn't be silent about what Israel's doing. He wouldn't be providing them with legitimacy, uh, moral legitimacy, political logistics, financing, and of course, arms. I mean, we are complicit in this, uh, in these war crimes, and it's horrible. And I can't imagine what it must be like to be a Palestinian and see how not only does Israel want to literally drive you out, ethnically cleanse you, but all these other governments are complicit in these crimes. Uh, I think that's why it's so important to be speaking out, because we need to show that it's not okay, that our government doesn't represent us when it does this, when it aids and abets Israel. And Jews need to be speaking out and saying uh, Israel doesn't represent us. That government that does not literally represent us, obviously. I don't pay tax dollars to Israel. I pay my tax dollars to America. But I'm indignant and outraged at both of these governments for the crimes that they're committing. And on the one hand, I am paying my taxes to them. And they're committing crimes with my tax money. And then on the other hand, they are claiming that I have some connection to this uh, government that, again, does not represent me and does not represent my Jewish values. It is, what's shocking is that there are people for whom Israel can absolutely do no wrong. I keep seeing these crimes blowing up a hospital, blowing up a refugee camp, and I keep expecting people to say, okay, now they've gone too far. I've been blindly loyal and blindly supportive of Israel, but now that I've seen this, and now that we have social media, and we get to see the images right away, and we have this immediacy that we haven't had before, I keep expecting some people to have these aha moments. And it's incredible that there, there are people for which, for whom Israel literally can do nothing wrong. There's not a single thing that they can do that they won't say, oh, that's just Israel defending itself, even though everyone knows this isn't self-defense. Quite. Uh, let's turn to the right for a minute. Uh, Kennedy and Biden uh, having been correctly damned. Uh, what do you make of this phenomenon that we've, we, ever since 2016, uh, we've been treated to the American right, echoed by the British right, people like Nigel Farage and others uh, uh, on the right in Britain. Uh, 
denouncing wokery, snowflakery, the idea that people can be uh, no platform because they might frighten the sensibilities uh, of uh, others, uh, that uh, denouncing uh, the cancel culture, denouncing bans on free speech, restrictions on free speech. Like a switch four weeks ago, the vast majority of these very same people have been determined to cancel everyone who raises a critical voice about what Israel is doing in these circumstances. I mean, I've never seen a U-turn performed quite so perfectly ever in my life. Yeah, they're either total hypocrites um, who don't believe in this stuff. Uh, well, either way, honestly, let's be honest, there's no either. They're, they're hypocrites. The only question is um, whether they are hypocrites who are just embracing the critique of cancel culture for opportunist reasons, or they're morally inconsistent and believe in things until it comes to Israel-Palestine. I mean, on the left, you have this phenomenon called PEP, which is progressive except on Palestine. So I guess on the right, you have, I don't know, PEP too, which is be principled except on Palestine. I mean, I disagree with the right, obviously, but it is instructive to see that these people who claim to be, uh, as you said, kind of uh, who claim to criticize people's snowflakery and um, hypersensitivity and who claim to critique cancellation and deplatforming are fine with it when it comes to Israel-Palestine. So they're exposing themselves as well. well. The, the Congress uh, um, exposed itself yesterday. Uh, the first person to be censured uh, by uh, the House of Representatives uh, was censured for tabling a bill for the abolition of slavery. The second person right. to be censured uh, was uh, a Democratic Congresswoman of Palestinian ethnicity who was censured by the Congress for standing up for her own people. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad you brought up that first person who was censured because I think it shows that Rashida Tlaib is in good company, right? When she was censured along with uh, someone who was an abolitionist who was censured for violating a gag order in the 1800s um, for daring to speak out against slavery. But you have members of the Congress who voted to censure this woman, the only Palestinian American member of Congress. These same people who are daring to censure her and accusing her of standing for Jew genocide, which it's not true. Uh, these same people actually are calling for genocide. These same people leading the charges, you have Republicans who have set, compared Palestinian civilians to Nazis. You have another one who said Palestine would be flattened like a parking garage. People who are not only making genocidal statements, but they're funding the genocide that's happening right now. And all Rashida is doing that they hate is she's putting a literal human face on Palestinians because this government doesn't want people to see anyone, uh, to have a face that they can match to all these Palestinians who are being ethnically cleansed, who are being bombed, who are being orphaned. These over 10,000 Palestinians by now, it's probably higher. Children, women, you know, this. They. I was watching this doctor from Doctors Without Borders talking about this acronym, uh, WCNSF, I think, Wounded Child, No Surviving Family. Can you imagine these kids who are 
the only ones to survive a bombing and then they wake up or they come to or they get out of surgery and there's no one left in their family. This is what our government is paying for right now and doing and providing. And these people have the gall to censure the one person who's standing up and speaking out on behalf of Palestinians in a way that's consistent and principled. And again, they're afraid of her because they know that she puts a, a human face on this and because they know that the American people are demanding a ceasefire and they know that the people who oppose the ceasefire do not represent the, their constituencies. So they can't have this person standing out there because she is basically showing them up as the uh, opportunistic hypocrites and genocidal maniacs that they, that they are. Katie, how can people follow you? How can they support your work? Well, you can uh, go to youtube.com slash the Katie Halper Show. You can follow me on Twitter at Katie Halps. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S. Um, Patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. We've been doing a lot of great shows with guests. Uh, I had an all-Jewish panel the other day. I've had on Normal Finkelstein to talk about this, Ali Abunima, Electronic Intifada. Um, and I'm going to keep uh, focusing on this issue because it's so important to talk about it. And because mainstream media... You know, thank God for shows like yours, which debunk all these talking points and this Hasbara and uh, actually give people who have the truth to say a chance to speak. Um, so I want to thank you for being part of that movement. I also had on Craig uh, McIver last night who resigned from the UN over their failure to advocate for Palestinians. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm I'm working on. Everyone, the whole our whole audience is hereby instructed to follow Katie Halper on Thank all you. of our platforms. God bless you, Katie. And if, if, I, if I ever dressed in Dior, if I ever had any Dior products, I would dump Dior. I just don't have any Dior products, but I, I symbolically dumped Dior. What are they? What are, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm flying blind here. Uh, is Dior perfume or makeup or both They're or what? They're perfume and clothing. They're couture. You know, they're high fashion. Christian Dior, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought Luckily, Bella Hadid was uh, magnificent. Bella was yeah. magnificent in how she stood up for herself, didn't you think? Yeah, amazing. It's so pathetic that these people literally have to go to AI to create the kinds of um, statements that they want because they can't, of course, like uh, compete with what she's saying. So they need to uh, literally fake it. Beauty inside and out. Katie Halper, yeah. thank you very much indeed thank you. for joining us. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Our next guest, Ahmed Al Nauk, has lost a very significant, substantial part of his family. And I have been following his losses uh, day by day. 
his own family member, have now been joined by his very close friend, a fellow Chevening scholar, meaning a scholar of the highest rank, as directed and as regarded, rather, uh, by the British Foreign Office, whose body was still under the rubble, and whose two brothers were scrambling with their bare hands to get their dead brother out from under the rubble, and were themselves then killed, all in the last 48 hours or so. It seems like a ceaseless, never-ending river of blood. And our next guest is a personal witness to it. And he joins us now uh, from London, Ahmed al Nauk. Thank you. First of all, uh, it's almost uh, impossible to muster uh, the level of condolence uh, commanded by uh, the losses that you have personally suffered, along with your people, uh, dying in enormous numbers. Uh, but you are someone that we can look at and hear from uh, and who can tell us directly, personally, what happened to their family, to their friends. And we'd be grateful if you would. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Actually, I am. I feel a little bit lucky today because I speak English. And uh, because I speak English, I can talk about my family. And I'm also lucky because I live in London, where I have internet connection to tell you about the loss of my family. Unfortunately, there are 2.2 million people in Gaza who have lost a lot of family members who cannot speak English and who cannot have internet access. And that's why their stories are now buried under the rubble with their own families. And my story is very similar to um, a thousand other families. A thousand other people are just like me who have lost their entire family. What happened to me is uh, uh, in, two, uh, in uh, October the 22nd, my family was sleeping in their home. There was my father, my two brothers, my three sisters, and all of their children. There were about 14 children in their house. And Israel bombed the home just like that, without any excuse, without any justification. They bombed their home and they all died. All of my family, uh, everyone I care about, my home where I had my childhood, where I was raised, my father who was 75 years old, who was born only a few months after the Nakba, my three sisters, uh, the, some of them are engineers, teachers, human rights activists, lawyers, all of them were killed with 14 kids, 14 of their kids. They were all massacred. And uh, my story is not unique. Uh, I'm not the only one who lost all of his family members. There are about a thousand families in Gaza who have been wiped out from the civil record. All of them have been a victim of this genocidal, barbaric war that Israel launched against the Palestinian people. And this is a war that is waged against everyone in the Palestinian people. It's not a war against Hamas. We have to confront what the Western media is telling you, this is not a war against Hamas. This is a war against the Palestinian people. And all the Palestinian people have been affected by this war. And the worst thing that happens to the Palestinians right now is not only killing them. It's also starvation, starving them. There are 1.1 million Palestinian children who live in Gaza are now facing starvation, thirst, 
lack of medical equipment, lack of medical support. This is a genocide that's taking place in Gaza live on TV screens and everyone is watching and worse. Now we are seeing that the Western media and the British and the American government are supporting Israel with whatever they need in order to continue massacring the Palestinian people. Unfortunately, I'm not the only one who have lost his family members. As I said, another thousand family have been wiped out from the Gaza Strip. More than 15,000 people have been killed already in the Gaza Strip. More than 50,000 people have been injured. The situation in Palestine is very difficult. It's very dire. And we need some action and action now. This uh, uh, is a terrible dilemma. Uh, should people uh, spread themselves out uh, in a perhaps vain hope uh, that some will survive and continue the bloodline? Or should they gather together and uh, all die uh, together? In your family's case, they all died uh, together. And are you the last surviving member of your family in that case? Well, actually, I have always been very proud that I have a very big family. Uh, I have eight siblings. Israel killed six of them, and there are three survived now, me and my two sisters. My two sisters live in, in Deir al-Balah. Uh, they're bereaved, they're heartbroken, they're under bombardment right now. So I'm, I'm very lucky to have two sisters left. Israel killed six six, six uh, six siblings and my father and also Israel killed my mother three years ago, not directly, indirectly, because she had cancer and they refused to give her uh, the permit to travel to receive a treatment. Uh, this is our life. And I'm very worried. I'm, I'm sick worried about my two other sisters who live there. And, uh, you know, no one is safe in Gaza. So I'm, I'm just literally waiting for the news uh, from them. I lost contact with one of them for 10 days now already. And the other one, I could talk to her from now and then, and they're very scared and they're still under bombardment. Um, I don't know if I will, if they will survive or uh, if they will lose or if they will die. Um, I don't know. Tell us about your friend, the distinguished medical doctor, uh, who was not only himself with his family killed, but now his two brothers trying to recover his body have themselves also been killed. This is my friend, Maisara. Maisara is uh, like a brother to me. We are best friends and um, I, I, I love him to be. He's, he's a very noble man. He's a very distinguished man. He's very talented. We were both selected to go to the UK to, uh, to receive the Chivning scholarship. Uh, Chivning is um, an FCDO scholarship that is uh, given to young leaders young leaders from the countries in which they provide us with a master's degree scholarship to study in the UK. And Maisara and I were selected uh, to come here uh, to study our master's in in the UK. So Maisara was a medical doctor. So he did his master's degree at King's College London. Uh, he was specializing in women and children health. And then at COVID time, uh, when, when the country was looked, uh, he came, he chose to come to lead to Leeds, where I lived, and he said uh, at my flat for for six, seven or eight months, we lived together during these eight months, and uh, all the memories I share with him are pleasant memories. I never had any any unpleasant memory with him. He was kind, he was lovely, he was um, always cheerful, he was always laughing. Uh, 
And uh, he was very, very talented. He was very, very, very talented. One of the smartest people I know. He was a very hard worker. And he never, he never ever belonged to any political party whatsoever. He was dedicated to his education, to the medical uh, career that he had. And then after he finished his master's degree, he even got the tests to uh, be a qualified doctor in the UK. And after doing the test, his father called him and he asked him to return to Gaza because he was very attached to his father. And just like that, he went back home. Uh, he he got married to the love of his wife uh, three months ago only. And uh, he was having a successful life. He, he came to, go, to, to London two months ago to do his uh, honeymoon. He was very happy with his um, with his wife. And we spent some good time together in London. And then he returned to Gaza. He said he can't leave Gaza. He's very attached to Gaza. Uh, when the war started, he was very scared. We were communicating all the time on our own WhatsApp. And he was telling us how scared he is, how disappointed he is from all of this world that uh, allowed Israel to, to do these massacres. And then he said something that I, I could never forget. He said sometimes during this wartime, he would be um, chatting with his family, maybe having a dinner together and uh, cracking some jokes here or there to to stress release uh, the, the pain and the suffering that they're willing. And then he said, while he is, while he have this rare laughter during this war, he remembers that other families were sitting in their home, having the same laughter, sharing the same moments. And then just like that, they're under rubble. He said that his worst fear is that his home is bombed and he's stuck under the rubble while he's surviving and he didn't die and he doesn't die. And this is actually what happened to him. Three days ago, Israel bombed his home, six story building. All of his family were inside and all of them are still under the rubble until this moment. We don't know if he's still alive or dead, but 100% he's, he's dead because his, his, the, the whole building was flattened. It was destroyed and he's still under the rubble. Uh, his two brothers who were not living with him in the same family, they decided to go and to dig with their bare hands in order to get to retrieve his bodies. And then when Israel saw his bodies, uh, the, his brothers trying to retrieve the body, they bombed him and they were also killed. It's a shame. It's, it's, a, it's a loss. Maisara, Maisara is a, a very noble man. He's a very handsome young man. He did not deserve in this barbaric genocidal war. He deserved to live and to have a decent well, life. There are no words really to follow that uh, testimony. Let me uh, just ask you one final question, if I may. Uh, the, the, the footage I saw today of what seemed to be thousands, but may have been many more than thousands, uh, of Palestinians being marched under military escort uh, into another exile uh, was redolent uh, for me uh, of many things uh, in history, one of them the Nakba itself, uh, and uh, actually also the Holocaust itself, uh, the people being marched uh, into the ghettos or in Babi Yar marched into the pits or in the rest of Western Europe being marched to the railway station and onto the trains. Uh, it, uh, it chilled me. I wonder how it looked to you and what you think it presages. 
When I saw these images today, I actually, the first thing that came to my mind is uh, the Nakba, the second Nakba. 75 years ago, Israel, it wasn't Israel, it was Zionist militias in Palestine. They uh, bombed the Palestinian villages and cities. They killed the people who lived there and destroyed their, their neighborhoods. And then they forced the Palestinians to leave their homes and lands to, to make a way for, for, for the establishment of Israel. And today, Israel is doing the same thing. They are destroying the Palestinian neighborhoods in the Gaza Strip. They're forcing the Palestinians who live north of the Gaza Strip to move south of the Gaza Strip in preparation to their uh, ethnically cleansing, to the ethnic cleansing, to the genocide that they are do, going to, uh, to, to, to put in motion. Um, and the Israelis think that they did it before. They did it 75 years ago, and they will do it again. And they think that uh, the people will, uh, the world will let them do that. And unfortunately, and for, uh, it pains me to to see that the world is in is enabling Israel to do another Nakba, another ethnic cleansing, another genocide, another massacre against the Palestinian people. Right on TV, on your screens, everyone is watching, and no one is doing anything. It's actually America is providing Israel with the weapons, with the money in order to do this massacre and genocide against the Palestinian people. It's happening again. History is repeating itself. And the Palestinians have been on the receiving end of this trauma, of this suffering. And the world is watching and no one is doing anything. Now the Israelis are bombing, killing as many civilians as possible. And they're looking them inside Gaza, asking them to leave from the north to the south, bombing the bakeries, bombing... Uh, any, any uh, bombing schools, bombing uh, shelters, bombing hospitals. They're killing many, many civilians in order to threaten and intimidate others, in order to force them to leave their homes and lands and never come back. This is ethnic cleansing what's happening. This is a genocide what's happening. It is another Nakba. It's worse than the first Nakba. And by the way, it's not only Gaza. Because right now, they will deal with Gaza. Once the, the, the Gaza issue is dealt with, they will go to the West Bank. And they will go to the Palestinians who live inside Israel. It's a catastrophe what's going on. And the world needs to wake up. The world needs to wake up and to do something to stop all of this suffering of the Palestinian people. I'm just shocked. I'm just shocked that it is happening live on your cameras and no one is acting. No one is doing anything. Do you know why? Because here, unfortunately, in the West, we Palestinians are perceived as less worthy, as less human beings that we do not deserve to live, that the Israelis are more worthy of life. What happened the 7th of October, we have seen all the world like do a huge backlash, talk about it, condemn the Palestinians, but something worse than what happened to Israel is happening to the Palestinians right now. But all of us, we the Palestinians, we don't matter anymore. We, they don't care about us. Civilians, children, women, men are dying, are being killed brutally. In a barbaric manner, in a barbaric way, in the 21st century, in the in the world of social media and live TV, and the world is watching, not doing anything. It's really, really heartbreaking. It's really annoying. It's painful. It's painful. It's very painful to see that the world is not reacting, that Israel can do whatever it wants, and no one is saying no to Israel. Ahmed, uh, uh, our deepest sympathies uh, on your loss and our inspiration, really, in the power of your testimony. I'm very glad that you joined us on the mother of all talk shows. Uh, I think what you said tonight will never be forgotten. Uh, now, uh, let me take a quick break to recover from that. 
And then it's your show right to the end. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Now, you can watch uh, my film, Killing Kelly, and the previous film, The Killings of Tony Blair, absolutely gratis, free of charge, if you are one of my patrons. And I'm increasingly dependent on the financial support of those patrons. So I thank each and every one of them and earnestly appeal to you to examine whether or not you can afford to give me through Patreon the price of a cup of tea per week. That's all, the price of a cup of tea in a cafe per week. If you can, please do so. Patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. And keep me standing, keep me working. Some uh, comments from my patrons. Uh, George Wolf says, the West has been knowingly complicit with apartheid Israel for decades in the imperialist dominated world. There's no one enforcing international law. Oh, get with the program. It's the rules-based international order nowadays. John C., who is a Moch graduate, and uh, that's a higher level of supporter, uh, says Netanyahu is a mass murderer. I honestly believe that he started this annihilation because of the corruption charges he himself was facing. I only hope justice prevails. And Michael Sherry, a long-time patron, uh, says not just the Zionist regime, but all of the Biden crime gang should be prosecuted for war crimes. And a moat's legend, the highest level of them all, is Graham Briggs White, who says a definite yes, he should be indicted for war, war crimes. But like the rest of them, this rules-based order only applies to those not in our interests. The day will come, however, when the empire completely collapses. We all know who they are. Thank you so much, and thanks for supporting me on Patreon. And please, try to do so after the show uh, tonight. Now, I'm speaking again tomorrow night uh, at uh, Special War Reports, uh, an initiative of No to NATO, No to War. There's the flyer uh, for it. How's that for a lineup? Katie Halper, that you have just watched this evening, my former parliamentary colleague, now Workers' Party colleague, Chris Williamson, uh, Uni Unity News Network, UNN, David Clues. Uh, the first time I met David uh, online, he said that he used to hate me. Uh, and I said, thanks for that. Well, he doesn't hate me now, and I don't hate him. And hate, in any case, is a very destructive emotion. We ally with anyone for good and will ally with no one for bad, and uh, yours truly. So we're, all four of us, addressing you, no to NATO, no to war, at 8 p.m. UK time, 8 p.m. UK time, tomorrow evening, Thursday. Please join us. It's going to be a cracking meeting. I think a million people watched the last one, which is uh, makes it the biggest anti-war meeting anywhere in the world since the last one I helped lead uh, in 2003. Fra is in Belfast. Let's hear what he has to say. Go ahead, Fra. Hiya, George. Thanks for taking my call. George, I must say that's a very, very, very powerful show tonight. 
that uh, Palestinian man, yeah. my apologies, I can't remember his name, that was just so eloquent, oh, so heartfelt, so uh, so to the point to lose all his family. That man shows no hate for the Israelis or the Zionists. He shows no desire for revenge. I only wish that the Israeli government and the Israeli people could take a leaf out of his book. And I'd like to offer my sympathies and commiserations uh, for his his a very tragic loss. George, the uh, Congress people apparently stood on the steps of Congress for a photograph, a photo uh, op, where they uh, talked about the 140, or sorry, 1,400 uh, victims in Israel and never mentioned the people in Palestine, the dead babies and mothers and pregnant women who have had to give birth at the side of the road. Uh, but the other thing I'd like to speak about is... Uh, you mentioned earlier on in the show about the uh, media asking you about, you know, where you're going to stand in maybe forthcoming elections. And I know you've already thrown your hat into the ring for uh, the mayorship of London. I mean, that is probably the most influential job outside of Parliament. It's probably the most important political appointment that anyone in the United Kingdom possibly have. So I'll just encourage uh, not everyone to vote for you, but everyone who uh, supports the Palestinian cause, supports justice and equality in the world, to actually go and canvass on your behalf. I was honoured and lucky enough to canvass for you when you were in uh, West Bradford, when you won that seat, and I'd be honoured uh, mm. when you decide to put forward your candidacy for London to come over and stand beside you and knock doors and encourage people to vote for you because a vote for you is a vote for justice and equality. It's not actually about Palestine. It's about uh, the new world order that's coming into being that you've mentioned. So I just want to encourage people to get behind you and encourage people not just to vote for you but to come along and stand beside you and canvas on your behalf and get you elected where you can have uh, a lot of influence on the money that is in London and the investments that they may have in Israel and other apartheid countries throughout the world. God bless you, Frau. You've been with me uh, on many journeys, including to Gaza itself. Uh, I'm still weighing up what I should do uh, in 2024. Uh, the mayoralty of London is greatly appealing. It is the most important directly elected position in the country. It can be used. It has not been used by the diminutive uh, incumbent, but it was used uh, prior to that uh, by Boris Johnson and by Ken Livingstone uh, as a very influential position in the land. And so that uh, obviously appeals. Uh, but it's late in the day. Uh, it's a big ask. You need to probably, with my entry into it, you'd probably need uh, seven or 800,000 votes uh, to win. And you need to raise a lot of money very quickly. Uh, I've got very good uh, supporters and friends. I'll be meeting them soon. Uh, and it is a live uh, possibility. As is... Uh, standing in one or other of several parliamentary constituencies to make a re-entry into British politics that way. Uh, 
And uh, there are many arguments for and against both of those avenues. Uh, but the one thing that is for sure, uh, the Labour Party is getting very nervous indeed about me. And that feels good, because so they should. Uh, email, uh, dear George, would it be realistic to think Netanyahu could be tried for war crimes? Or will it be just brushed under the carpet like the war crimes committed by Tony Blair and George Bush? Uh, I don't know. Uh, all we can do is fight for it. Whether we win or not is, uh, is not in our hands. But what is in our hands is whether or not we fight for what's right. And I like to think that the audience of this show is always up for that fight. Thanks, Jason. YouTube comment from Keith. It says they had to do surgeries without anesthesia. Totally insane. Israel is beyond cruel, sadistic. No one deserves this. History will not be kind to the collective West. Now, our last caller buried her husband of more than 60 years this very day. But she's still here on the show. It's the legend that is Norma in Bristol. Norma, that must have been uh, very painful. Uh, the final goodbye. Uh, tell us uh, what happened at the funeral today. Um, well, George, it was a very small private family funeral. And um, <clears throat> it wasn't quite what one of my sons thought it should have been, but we didn't have a row. Uh, we had a meal, all a big meal afterwards. Um, lovely little piece of music, because my husband was a huge um fan of classical music and um it went it went all right i mean the anxiety for me and the boys i think and my grandchildren but my anxiety was huge beforehand but then um and it was moving but it was nice to have a meal afterwards and, and move on because i mean it's the end of my era really um you talk about a new world well personally it's a new world for me and I did want to thank my um, Twitter friends because they had a load of good wishes and I think there was something from you. And So anyway, I put a photo of them when we were married on the Twitter this evening, which just gives me good memories. I I keep looking at it, actually. <laughs> um, and then tomorrow 60, we start... Was it, 60, was it 62 years yeah. you were married? Yeah, 62 what years, yeah. What an extraordinary yeah. innings. But never mind. Well, it's, the um, whole audience, the whole audience uh, hearts will be with you, Norma, uh, and and also their admiration uh, that you are here with us on the very day, the night uh, that your husband of 62 years uh, was uh, buried. I hope he's in a better place now and that you stay with us uh, for a very long time to come. Uh, because oh, your nice. your wisdom, your homespun oh. <laughs> uh, woman next door wisdom is oftentimes mm. the most wisdom that we hear oh. on a show that is generally full of wisdom. Norma, the legend in Bristol, may God bless you and preserve you. Uh, should Netanyahu be indicted for war crimes, overwhelming 
97, 93, 87, and 96% over 3, 7, 13, and 4. Nobody who was in the minority had the guts to call the show and argue their uh, point of view, uh, which uh, leads me to one of my old sayings, some things never change. Well, it's been marvelous for me. I uh, hope that it was for you. Uh, I think it was extremely powerful to hear the range of guests that we had on tonight. Some of the things they said will never leave us. Uh, the testimony of the Palestinian man brought here by the British Foreign Office as a gifted student, telling us about the death of virtually his entire family, including the 14 children of his sisters, 24 of them murdered in the same house in an instant, leaving him in London, the land of Balfour, the land that gave him a scholarship, complicit and up to their knees in the blood of his extended family. And then his fellow Foreign Office sponsored student, chevening students, both of them, a surgeon of great repute, still lying under the rubble six days after his house and his family were flattened. And to add even more blood, the two of his brothers trying to dig him out of the rubble are now themselves dead under new rubble. It's almost impossible to encapsulate the scale of this genocide, but in a way, the picture that fixes it is not all the horrific scarring and maiming and murdering of children for me, bad though that is. For me, it's the picture of the thousands being driven at gunpoint into exile all over again. Except, in this case, they're being exiled from their houses in a refugee camp and driven to a place where there are no houses at all. No houses, no tents, no food, no fuel, no medicine, no intact hospitals, no still operating ambulances, no paramedics, who have somehow escaped the savage attacks upon them just into the desert. It's almost biblical, isn't it? I've been George Galloway. This has been the mother of all talk shows. I'll be back, God willing, on Sunday at 7 p.m. UK time for the mother of all talk shows. But before that, at 8 p.m. tomorrow night, Thursday, I'll be here on No to NATO, No to War. I hope you'll join me on both of those occasions. Good night.